Hello and welcome to episode two of the Number My Day for Men podcast, where we discuss all things man and God. I'm your host, DC. Join us in the fight for manhood, God's way. Please join me in welcoming today's guest, Daryl K. Downs. Pastor Downs is currently the pastor of Christ Church of the Valley in Palmdale, California. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little more about yourself. I'm currently 59 years of age, born in Marshall, Texas. I am the youngest of four siblings. Currently, I've been married for 37 years to my beautiful wife, Leslie. I have a son, Daryl Jr., Daryl II. He is 36 years of age. I have a daughter, Dana Ann, who's 32 years of age. Two grandchildren. God has just blessed me all of my life. Grew up in Pomona, California, Los Angeles, California, in the public school system. Uh, migrated into corrections at the age of 24. Worked there for approximately 26 years. Started out in my career as a janitor. Retired as a associate warden, correctional administrator. And along the way, um, there has been some ups and downs, some hurdles, and God just took me from the lowest levels to the highest levels. And I'm just grateful for the life that he's given me. So do you have any hobbies or any yes. favorites? Number one hobby is deep sea fishing. Love oh, to go nice. deep sea fishing. Uh, I'm an avid camper. What's your favorite that? fish to catch? Uh, rock cod. Rock cod. Rock cod. Absolutely the best in the sea. I... Like I said, I love to go camping. One of my other great hobbies, believe it or not, is kite flying. Oh. I love to fly kites. <laughs> In my travels to various places uh, throughout the world, the Caribbean, Hawaii, and places like that, the number one place for me is to go find a kite store and to <laughs> find a kite. And so I have a collection of kites that I've assembled over the last 20 years. Nice. That I just like to get out and fly with grandkids or kids from the church and stuff like that. I call myself a golfer, but realistically, I'm just out there hacking, and I've been doing that for about 20 years. I'm absolutely no good at it, but it's just good for stress relief. Yeah. Uh, any favorite sports? Avid football player from back in the day, baseball, softball, basketball, you know, a little bit of bowling. Uh, my number one sport was always football, nice. and I'm a diehard Raider fan. All right. So let's go ahead and dive in. Discuss something that you had to overcome. One of the things that I had to overcome was the feeling of rejection in my life early on. Uh, being the youngest of siblings, all of my siblings were born here in Los Angeles, California, and I was born out of state, like I said, in Marshall, Texas. So my siblings made it a point to convince me early on that I didn't belong to the family. And they, <laughs> they, they did it jokingly, of course, but it really sunk in that um, possibly there was a doubt of whether or not I was even actually part of the family member. And then growing up, I saw a lot of things in my family, whereas my father, pretty much a nine to five guy, worked a lot and went to church a lot, and he didn't do a lot of support for his kids. He just worked and took us to church. And so in the period of time that I grew up in playing Little League, getting involved in Cub Scouts, Pop Warner football, things like that, for years, uh, my dad never came to any of the activities that I was involved in. And so consequently, even in high school, playing in the band and getting involved in foreign languages and stuff like that, I wanted to be a foreign exchange student. I had absolutely zero support whatsoever. And so 
it was one of those things that I grew up with questioning and wondering how come I can't get this type of support that I saw some of my older siblings getting and some of my peers. And so I've always had this innate drive that regardless as to whether or not somebody uh, had my back, quote unquote, or who was there to support me, that would just never stop. That was one of the things I had to get over because I held it against my dad for a number of years until the time I probably was about 28 years of age. We didn't really reconcile. So from the time that I left high school after graduation, I immediately moved out. My dad was telling me that I was uh, moving too fast. I needed to stay and um, do the things that he wanted to do. But I left high school semester early because I had the credits to graduate. So I just left and moved to Los Angeles, found a job and moved out on my own. So, yeah, the the, the fear of being non-supported. I had to get over that because when I got to my wife and she knew my life story, she became my number one fan. And um, she, she supported me through anything and everything, uh, all of my endeavors and ventures that I wanted to do. And so I had to uh, learn to release that. I used it as a source of motivation and drive, but I had to learn to release it and know that we were now a team working together. Yeah. And what is your biggest struggle today? My biggest struggle today is dealing with people. Being a pastor, God sends everybody your way, people from all walks of life. And I hold people to a very high standard. And sometimes it's an unfair standard. And so when people tell me that they have the ability, capability, or even the desire to do something in ministry, I am of the opinion now, just wait and see. Uh, I've been disappointed by a, a lot of people who walk up, uh, proclaim one thing, but then they don't practice what they preach. One of the biggest struggles is not to prejudge people because in my uh, law enforcement career, you learn to read people, you learn to read the body language, their emotions, and don't prejudge. Now that you, I'm in ministry, I can't afford to prejudge based upon a career of judging. So that's been one of the biggest challenges for me. What is the greatest lesson you have learned? <sighs> Shoot for the stars. You might land on the moon. And the moon is not a bad place to be. I'll always put myself in a position to do more. There was a time in my life where somebody observed me, came to me and told me that I was settling for less. And I thought that life was pinnacle of what it could be for me at that time. I had no expectation of doing more, being more. I was just happy to finally be included amongst my peers but a supervisor came to me and says, you need to do more. And so he encouraged me to go into supervision and to promote. And at the time, it didn't seem like it was possible or even feasible because, again, I was in a situation where I was low man on the totem pole. And I had some higher ranking people who had experience and older. But then when I went and took the test, I came out ranked pretty high. And my whole world just changed immediately overnight within the course of one day. I went from being just a regular Joe average guy to being now a person who was in charge of many people's lives and careers. And it just totally set me aback at first because I wasn't emotionally and mentally prepared for it. But then I came to realize that this is a path that I'm going to walk. And so I had to learn to position myself and trust myself and trust God that this is the path that he has laid out for me. Yeah. And where'd you get that advice from? Uh, shoot for the stars. There was a gentleman. Um, he was a retired Army intelligence officer uh, who worked in corrections with me. And uh, he was my direct supervisor. 
and he saw the way that I was able to function with people and my peers. And he was telling me that um, they were taking direction and orders from me. And I was arguing with him, telling him, no, I'm following their direction. And he says, no, young man, uh, you're in charge. You just don't know that you're in charge. <laughs> and so he played a trick or played a game with me. And he asked me to pretend that I was sick one day at work, come to work and just pretend that you're sick and just sit down and don't do anything and watch what happens. And I did it the next day. And to my amazement, all my peers kept coming to me and asking me, uh, what are we doing next? Uh, what's the next step? What's the next program? <laughs> and I couldn't believe it because we all knew the program. And I, I didn't know because for me, knowing the program, just do the program. And they knew it, but they just kept checking with me to see what, what were we going to do next and how we were going to proceed and wanted my input. So it just convinced me that maybe I would, could be more. Yeah. And so being a correctional officer was great. But then I start, thought about it. It's like, well, maybe I need to go to the next level. And then at that level, same thing, thought about it. Well, maybe I need to go to the next level. And so throughout my 26-year career, I was always striving to go to the next level and God kept hitting the benchmark for me. So my next question is, what is the best advice you have received? Does that fall, fall under that as well? Or do you have another piece of information? Um, the best advice that I ever receive is always take somebody with me. Oh. As, as God was moving me, uh, positioning me, always give back. Don't be arrogant. Don't be cocky. And always sow into somebody else's life. I had an opportunity, like I said, to be a supervisor. And within a course of time, God positioned me to be the hiring authority in the Department of Corrections at the facility where I worked. And so I had approximately 1,200 employees up under my direct supervision. And I had the ability to hire various ranks of individuals up under me. And um, I always made it a point to try to pick somebody who was just an average person who needed an opportunity, who needed encouragement, who needed motivation to bring them in and bring them up and then sow into them the concept of always paying it forward, paying it into somebody else. What is the worst advice you have received? Hmm. The worst advice. The worst advice that I ever received was that I needed to slow down, that I was moving too fast I'm not supposed to be where I'm where I'm going or where I desire to go. I wasn't qualified to go and they won't, quote unquote, allow you to do that. And so for some time, I bought into that mentality that I wasn't qualified. And it took me back to my mental state where I was a kid thinking that I was an outsider, that I shouldn't be here and I shouldn't belong. I would put myself in a position or a situation or find myself in one. And I would never respond. I would just sit there and be quiet, feeling inadequate, only to observe and watch what was going on and then realize everybody else in the room doesn't have a clue. And it happened that on occasion I would raise my hand and ask the question. And in doing so, it was like E.F. Hutton spoke. The whole room would turn to the quiet guy and they were like, OK, answer his question. And the question brought some light and meaning to the discussion. And afterwards, oftentimes I was encouraged to come out from the back of the room or from the lower ranks and get involved because my thought process was not just accepting the status quo, but looking beyond 
other avenues and possibilities. Instead of just going along, wanting to please, I was always looking for something different. Yeah. Now, I don't know if we covered this question, but can you describe the moment you just had to surrender and follow Jesus? Ah, <laughs> yeah, very good. I was 38 years of age. I had been promoted uh, to the rank of correctional lieutenant. And even in that capacity, I became one of the senior leaders at the new prison at Corcoran State Prison in California. And I became one of the managers. On the surface, life was well. I had a brand new home, swimming pool, truck, car, dog, white picket fence. And uh, financially, I was I was doing well. But internally, I was miserable. My wife and my marriage was in trouble. I was a workaholic. I thought that I could buy my family's affection through the various uh, means that I had of working so much. Did a lot of travel and I detached myself emotionally uh, from relationships. And I found myself one day sitting at my bar in my home and tears just began to run down my face. And I, I knew that I was alone and that um, if I didn't change my life and my heart and really commit my heart to God, despite me chasing the material things that I had achieved, that wasn't the life that I wanted to live. And so at that moment in time, I repented and gave my heart to God, asked God to do the very best that he could ever do for me. And that was to give me my wife's heart back. She wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. And I was just going through the motions of pretending to be something that I wasn't. My children didn't know what was going on. Of course, they were pretty small at the time. But realistically, I was a broken man, had been outside of the church for 20 years after growing up a PK. And I left the church intentionally at the age of 18. But at the age of 38, I realized if I'm going to be happy, if I'm going to have internal peace, that I needed to go back to my roots and seek God. I didn't know the Bible, even though I grew up in the church. I knew the church. I know how to be a church member, but I never was taught how to have a personal relationship with God. And so I began starting from scratch, starting over, seeking God, praying to God, reading the Bible and asking God to build me as a man. Yeah. Tell us, why do you believe in God? I've tested him. I absolutely have tested him. I have prayed to him and asked him to do some things in my life. And at every stage of my life, he has answered my prayer from the very beginning back when I was 19, 20 years of age. I remember praying and asking God to reposition me and give me the desires of my heart. And he did it. He did it for my spouse. He did it for me professionally. He did it for me academically. There were some bad situations that I got myself into and I prayed and asked God to deliver me from. He did. And at every stage of my life, whenever I would turn to him and seek his face, he was always there. He never, ever, ever left me, forsake me or expose me. All right. And he just just took care of me, kept pushing, kept moving me through life, up life's chain. I even sought other religions and studied some other religions and what I found is they had fatal flaws, fatal flaws. Again, I would ask questions as to uh, the meaning of the religion or the foundation of it. And what is it all internally get us in the end? And um, no one could answer the question satisfactorily other than Jesus Christ. And then when I really, really, really got into studying the word of God and found out the beauty of the resurrection, no other 
religion had a resurrection. All these other people had started these religions, but they all died and they all had fatal flaws. The Christ showed me he has forgiveness. So a lot of the internal things that I was experiencing, feeling personally, those were taken away from me. And that if I put my faith and trust in him, that he would come through for me. And absolutely, he did it on every level. How has your belief in God changed your approach to life? I believe nothing is by accident. I believe that God, according to the word of God, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by him. I believe that everything is for a plan and for a purpose. And it's almost like taking a college course, life is. There's various courses that we take attaining a degree. But then after we obtain our first degree, there's always a next level to go to with intensified courses in our chosen vocation. And then you can obtain, quote unquote, a master's degree. And if you're really a student of life, you can go get a doctorate. All right. And really become an expert in your own field of study of living life successfully on God's terms. And so there is nothing that I do where I don't put God first. I put God first in everything. The 20 years of living outside of Christ from 18 to 38, that was all about personal gain. And it was all about building stuff and achieving stuff. But that has no meaning and no value. I would much rather have a life and a legacy, a family of love, of um, touching people's hearts, uh, sewing into people, than building a 401k or building something Uh, that's immaterial, that's not going to last. And so I'm always looking to encourage people to let people know that Christ is real. God is the answer. Uh, If you want to have meaning in life, according to the Bible, seek him first, the kingdom of God, and he will add everything else to you. And that has been true in my life. What advice would you give a man that struggles with following God? (sighs) Um, One or two things can happen. You can leave God and go try to do life on your own, or you can completely surrender to God and do life on God's terms. For the man who's struggling, oftentimes he's written his own life plan, and he doesn't realize that his plan is folly. God allows us the innate ability to make decisions, um, and oftentimes we take that to the extreme if we think our decisions are going to be blessed outside of his realm. And that never happens. So the guy who's struggling, I would ask him, what is he struggling with? Because if he's really researched and knows God, knows Christ, and knows the word of God, there should not be a conflict. I have even told people, make a decision and walk away from God. If you really think that you are all that in a bag of chips and God is not who he says he is, then go find for yourself the answers that you're looking for. Um, And it's not out there. I absolutely know that it's not out there. In pastoring now, dealing with the elderly, and when you talk to people, invariably it all comes down or comes back to the same thing. Uh, Older guys, older people will tell you it's about love and it's about relationship, okay? Some of the most financially successful people that I've ever encountered in life were also some of the loneliest. Had made many mistakes, had stepped on many people along the way up the ladder, and they had regret And they even questioned their own salvation, even though they believed that they were saved, quote unquote, on their way to heaven. They were really in jeopardy or in doubt as to how could God forgive me for all the many people that I hurt intentionally Mm -hmm. along the way. 
and discarded people along the way. And so for the guy who's struggling, I would ask him, what is the struggle over? And I would ask him, what's his plan? And then I would hopefully have an opportunity to sit down and talk with said person and ask them, have you ever put God first and tried it? Really, really, really put God first. Get into the word of God. Submit your heart. Submit your mind. Submit your will. And then see if there's still a struggle. I don't think there would be. How do you stay committed to God's word every day? (sighs) I love to read. I love to read the word of God. I consider myself a small history buff. Uh, I love the stories in the Bible. I've read the same story over and over for the last 20 years. And every time I read it, I get a new perspective on it. (laughs) And that just amazes me how God continuously gives me a different revelation to preach a story, to teach a story that wasn't there the last time that I read it. And so the Bible is just filled with wonder for me. It's just filled with life's questions for me. As, as I go through and listen to another person preach a sermon or preach a story or teach something, I'm the guy who sits on the edge of my seat going, wow, wow, how did I miss that? How did I not see that? And so it causes me to go back and reread it again from a different context, a cultural context, a social context. It all makes sense. It all adds up. And once you find joy in the word of God, he puts my life together. And so not just from a reading perspective and learning perspective, it orders my life. Whenever I think that something's awry, God shows me that he's, he's in control. Whenever I think that I want to do something outside of his will, he definitely will show me he's in control. Whenever I want the answers to life, um, that I have some great mentors in my life, but ultimately it all comes back to the word of God. What does the Bible say? Yeah. Now, can you give us some advice on being a godly man, being a husband and being a father? On being a godly man. First of all, I would say you need to practice what you preach. Okay, if you say that you're a godly man, be a godly man. Don't be a pretender. Don't deceive others, uh, mislead others. And if you're going to be a godly man, then immerse yourself into your calling, into what you say that you are. There's rewards for being a godly man and there's blessings for being a godly man. Believe it or not, in that 20 year time period when I was not, quote unquote, seeking God or following God, Um, I knew that the Bible was real. So one of the things that I still practice, even though I was not in church, was tithing. And that biblical principle absolutely positioned me in life. And I know that the Bible is real. So even though I wasn't professing Christianity, I knew that if I paid my tithes, that God would always bless me. And he did. And so on being a godly man, the worst thing that you can do is be a liar to yourself. Okay. If you say that you are something, be it. If you're not going to be that, then go decide who you're going to be and then go do that. If you don't want to be a godly man, then walk away. Walk away and go be the greatest heathen ever because you're going to go to hell anyway. Okay. And so if you're going to be a godly man, don't sit in the church and go to hell. That's crazy. There's, there's too much truth around you. There's too much joy around you. There's too much life around you to miss it or, or to misinterpret it. 
And I, I personally believe that you have to work hard to go to hell. Okay. I mean, it's just God makes it so easy for us to come into his knowledge and come into the kingdom of God. So on being a godly man, again, it's one of those things. My personal philosophy was always shoot for the stars. Um, so when I decided and intentionally gave my heart to God, I'm all in. I'm all in 1000 um, percent. No slack, no play, anything that I can do to serve in the kingdom of God. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, not looking for pay or anything like that. It, I, just to me, it just gives me life, it gives me breath, and just gives me joy being a godly man because there's too many examples of men who aren't, who profess that they are, but who aren't, and it does damage to the body of Christ. I believe the next one was on being a husband. Yes. Um, on being a husband, understand the position of headship, biblical headship that God has placed us in. We have a great responsibility to lead our families into knowing him. Families are a treasure. Families are a treasure. Your wife is one of the greatest gifts that God could ever give you, is to have a godly woman who supports you, who comes alongside of you, who worships with you, worships the same God that you do, has the same goals in life, uh, who trusts you. And truth be told, she completes you. She, she really compliments you and completes you. And um, on a personal note, I think she's custom made for you. I believe that my wife is just custom made, tailor made for every desire that I have in life. She's the one for me. When she speaks to me, oftentimes I know it's God speaking to me with clarity to question whether or not I'm following his will, um, whether or not I'm getting out ahead of him. Oftentimes it's to humble me to make sure that I am quote unquote, being God's man. And on being a father, there's no greater gift in life than being a father. Um, God has entrusted you with legacy. He's entrusted you with family. He's given you the opportunity to raise up a generation to serve him. Uh, what, what greater gift could you ever possibly hope for or wish for or long for other than having children who you could raise biblically. And so um, with that, um, I've seen many people come longing for fathers. I've seen the effects of not being close to a father. I've seen the effects of being close to a father. I think one of the Deciding differences and determining factors of people's inner success in life is a father. A father, there's just a bond that you can have with your children uh, that the mothers just can't give. Fathers can speak with the voice of authority, and that voice of authority stays in our heads for our entire life. Here I am, 59 years of age, and still to this day, I hear my father's voice. And when he would bring correction, his famous statement was, I spoke. And that was it. it. Ended the conversation. I spoke. And when he spoke, you, you stood up, you paid attention, you evaluated what he said, you evaluated the consequences of violating what he said. When you were outside in the world uh, going against what he said, you look back on the ramifications of what he said. 
as my children grew up, there were times when either one of them would call me and ask me a question and they would be surrounded by a group of other kids. Like my daughter would be in a study group in college and she would call and say, dad, uh, we're having a problem with this study group. We're all panicking, want to know how are we going to get through this final exam? And I remember telling them to stop studying. And she says, what? I said, stop studying. All you guys have spent your time in the class. You know the lesson. Stop studying. You're about to burn yourself out. I says, now what I need you guys to do is pray. She would put me on the speaker and I would pray for the study group. And afterwards, I would get a call back the next day. And it's like, dad, it worked. <laughs> and I was like, no, go, go figure. Yeah, I've positioned you to be in a position to learn. You're a great student and you have to trust what God has given you. And then afterwards, I visited the campus and got to meet some of those other kids in the study group. And we've developed relationships over the years. So here it is 10, 15 years later, there are kids out there who call me dad just because I prayed for them and showed them to trust God and lean and depend on him. And when they get ready to get married, they'll call me. Uh, When they get ready to buy a home, they'll call me. When they're looking for a church, they'll send me a clip of a pastor. Is this guy good or is this guy legit? Is this guy for real? And so Being a father is more than just having biological kids. Uh, We get to really touch and influence people's lives in a great way. And there's no greater, higher achievement for a man than being a father. Well, thank you for your insights. Any last words? Yeah. To all the men that would hear this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6.33, we can have a whole lot of goals in life, but if God is not our number one goal, nothing else matters. So what good will it do to obtain the material things and miss heaven? Yeah. So be the man of God. God called you to be. Exercise the gift that he's placed in us um, and live life to the fullest. And as hard as you work in life, play hard. Enjoy life. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. And make sure to visit us at numbermyday.com slash men to see what we're all about. And if you haven't already, join us in the fight for manhood, God's way.